0: This podcast is brought to you by New Hope Baptist
1: Church. For more information, visit the website newhope.net.au or follow us on social media.
0: The certain moments of life that come where it can be really uh, unsettling when we don't know what it is that we should do next we're not sure whether we should go left or right what's right or wrong seems confusing and gray we weren't trained for this moment there's no road map there's no one there to tell us what to do and it can even feel like it's hard to get a word from god on what it is that we should do next these moments can be disconcerting and can leave us feeling unsure about ourselves and the direction that we're in i wonder if you've ever felt like that I wonder if maybe you feel like that right now in your life, that there's a circumstance or situation where you just feel lost and unsure what it is that you should do next. Today, we want to sit in a parable that explores these moments of our lives. What do we do when it's unclear what it is that we should do next? It's a story about a master who entrusts his wealth to his servants and then leaves them doesn't provide any instruction or guidance on what they should do while he's gone. He simply goes and then returns sometime later to see how it is they have used his wealth in his absence. It's a parable that explores these challenging moments of our lives when it's not clear what's right and wrong or what we should do next. Let's read this parable together and open our hearts to what it is that God may want to say to us
1: today. Today's reading is from Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 to 30. The Parable of the Talents Again, it will be like a man going on a journey, who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, and to another one talent, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received the one talent came. Master, he said, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, "'You wicked, lazy servant! "'So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown, "'and gather where I have not scattered seed? "'Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers, "'so that when I returned I would have received it back with interest. "'Take the talent from him and give it to the one who has the ten talents, "'for one who has will be given more, and he will have an abundance.' Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him and throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth.
0: I have, I need to admit, a real problem with this parable. It leaves me feeling a little bit uncomfortable because I look at this parable and think, the ending should be somehow different. And I wondered to myself, how does this fit with the great parables like the one of the, the prodigal son, where that person, that son is given wealth and he squanders it and yet comes back to the father and he's welcomed back home with loving arms. In this story, the servant doesn't even lose the money and yet he's punished for it. I want to change this parable It doesn't sit comfortable with me. How are we meant to join these two different stories together? I find it confusing and confronting. I wish that the master would instead say to this servant, look, you, you've misunderstood me. You just don't understand who I really am. Or that he would look at the servant with compassion and with love and say, look, you, you just got it wrong. You're not a very good investment banker. I get it. Let me just put you into the role of dish pig in my estate. You can just do the dishes from now on, no stress, no pressure, just head off to the kitchen and do the dishes and that'll be fine. But instead, the master kicks him out of the estate completely, gets rid of him from all that is there. This story doesn't sit well with me. How, how is this an image of God? Because the unspoken realities, the characters in this story, we are meant to be the servants. And God is meant to be the master. How does this sit? I feel awkward and uncomfortable that God is characterized as a harsh, tough taskmaster who reaps what he doesn't sow. And I want to try and harmonize this parable and clean it up and uh, make it feel better for myself. While it makes me feel uncomfortable, interestingly, Jesus isn't bothered by any of that. He tells this parable about himself (laughs) himself. He has in mind that he is maybe seen as the master who is harsh and and tough. Something about my awkwardness with this parable, I think, reveals what it is that Jesus wants us to see, what he wants us to understand and notice in this parable because he is comfortable with how he is portraying himself through this. The two things that I really want to focus on with us together today is first of all that faithfulness or a lack of faithfulness doesn't just harm me, it can harm others around me. And secondly, that relationships uh, matter more than performance. These are the things that I think Jesus wants us to notice as we explore this parable together today. So first of all, faithfulness or a lack of it doesn't just impact me. The very fact that my takeaway from this parable is that the master is a tough, harsh taskmaster says something about how faithfulness affects more than just me. Let's see, let's explore this together for just a moment. If we were to look at just the first 10 verses of this parable from the start until the end of the conversation with the master and the second servant, we would think of the master in some really interesting ways. We would look at this master and think, well, he is an incredible boss. He trusts his servants with his own wealth. He believes in them, he empowers them. He actually gives them his own possessions and says, do what you want with it. Be creative, use your gifts, multiply it in any way that you can. He trusts his servants and doesn't micromanage them but leaves them to do their work and then comes back joy-filled, excited about what it is that they've done, and he celebrates them, he praises them, and then does this most incredible thing. He calls them partners in his estate. He says, come and join my happiness, effectively saying, I'm going to make you co-partners in this work. You are co-heirs in my estate. They are promoted from servant into partnership because of what they do. If we were to just look at these couple of verses, we would characterize this master as the best boss you could ever have. He's the kind of guy that you want to work for. He's the sort of guy that you'd want to give your life to. He would believe in you and trust you and work with you. This is the kind of boss you want to work for. And we would say, yeah, this is the image of God. This is who he is. This is the same character as the father in the prodigal son story. It's only once the unfaithful servant introduces the character idea of a harsh, tough taskmaster do things start to change. You see, unfaithfulness impacts not just my image of God, but it impacts the image and understanding that others hold of my master. This unfaithful servant is the first person to introduce a seed of doubt about the master, to introduce the idea that maybe he couldn't be trusted. And, you know, this is the way that the enemy works right throughout Scripture. Right from the first moments in Genesis through the end of the biblical stories that we have, the enemy is always seeking to operate and work in ways in our lives that introduces seeds of doubt, that twists moments of truth. In the Garden of Eden right at the start, it was a twist of what God said. That brought about a question of God's character and God's intent. This is the work of the enemy around us. And my lasting idea of this parable is tainted because of the unfaithfulness of this uh, uh, unfaithful servant. This parable cries out to us that we do not leave our faith on our own. We are not in a bubble when my unfaithfulness can be boxed up, buried and put to the side and it doesn't impact anyone or or affect anyone else's idea of my master. No, every part of me tells a story and is shaping the image that others have of my master as I serve him. Friends, this is confronting. This challenges me greatly as I consider the lives of those around me. And it challenges me to be aware of the image I hold of my master Beware of the image and the things that you claim as truth of your master. Even our most well-intentioned, best ideas of God could be susceptible to being based not on faithfulness, but on unfaithfulness. The very reason why I want to harmonize this parable should be questioned. Is it based on faithfulness to God or is there something else motivating that desire? Why is it that I feel that God needs a PR manager to straighten up this story? Is he not able to stand on his own two feet? Does he need me to somehow smooth him out or am I scared of anything challenging or confronting him? I wonder if the very reason that I feel uncomfortable about this parable is saying something to me, that I have a concept and idea of God that needs to shift. It's not there because of faithfulness. There's something else motivating that idea of who God is in my heart. Faithfulness is responding authentically with obedience to the circumstances that God puts before us. You know, the very next parable is one called the the sheep and the goats. It comes immediately after this story. And it's one where faithfulness is shown to be something that those who are faithful don't even realize they're doing it. The the sheep in this next parable are are faithful, but they don't realize that they're doing it, even though it's how they live their lives. Faithfulness is not a choice, a decision, a way of getting the choices of your life right and making the right decisions in the right moments. No, faithfulness is a way of your heart. It's a preset of how you live your life. It's a commitment and a pursuit of God, irrespective of whether you get things right or wrong. And not only does faithfulness impact my image of God, it impacts the image that others hold around me. What I think Jesus wants us to notice is that faithfulness matters. We don't live in a bubble of our own faith, and if I don't really trust God with something, it's okay, I can tuck it to the side. No, it will come back. It will be brought from the shadows and into the light. It will be seen. And secondly, the thing I think God want, Jesus wants us to notice is that relationships matter. Relationships matter even more than performance. You see, what I find interesting about this parable is that the unfaithful servant feels the need to justify himself. The faithful servants come and just bring their gift and lay them before the master to be judged accordingly. But the unfaithful servant is the one who wants to explain the situation, paint the picture, set things up and justify why he made the decisions that he made while the master was away. He says to the master, look, I know that you're a tough man. You're you're a tough taskmaster. You're harsh and that you even reap what you don't sow. And so I was afraid, he says. I was motivated by fear. And so I buried what you gave me in the ground so that I would not lose it. Fear drove my decisions. And as I listen to that, I think, gosh, that's a shame that you would have that relationship with your master. But, you know, I I get it. But the master is more clever than me. He notices some subtlety that I miss as I read this story. And the master calls out the thinly veiled deceit of the unfaithful servant, the swift one that he's trying to pull over the master in this moment. You see, the master responds and effectively says, so it's about my character, is it? You say that I am a tough man, a harsh task master, and you say that because of me you're afraid. Is that true? If you were really afraid and you knew that I reaped what I don't So then you would know that I expect to reap at least interest off the investment that I made in you. But that's not how you responded, is it servant? No, you buried it in the ground. You're not operating on fear. There's something else going on here. Let's just pause for a second. Let's just back up and and look at what's actually happened in this scenario up until now. The master has been gone for months and the servant presumably has stayed on the estate and continued in his way of life as usual. He's buried what he's been given, but he's continued to receive a wage through this time, continued to receive shelter and food and safety, protection, community with the other servants. We assume that the Netflix subscription never ran out, so he had all that he needed throughout every day of his life. And then the master returns to see what's happened. This servant has continued to live profiting off the faithfulness of his other servants, profiting off the master's wealth and not doing anything himself to return the favor. He's thought to himself, what do I need to do to keep on this gravy train? What is the minimum I need to do to ensure I keep receiving the blessings that this master has me? for me and he has reconciled that the easiest way to not lose out here is to bury the money so that at least he can give it back haven't gained anything haven't lost sorry i'm not very good just keep me in here and i'll do some meaningless jobs this is the kind of mindset that the servant has towards his master and this is the issue it's not an issue of performance it's not an issue of fear It's an issue of selfishness. The servant is not about the master. The servant is about himself. His deceit is to try and hide this. And the master cannot reconcile this broken relationship. There is no mutual love between these two. The servant has shown that he doesn't know the master at all. It was never about performance. It was never about what he could return for the master. It was only ever about relationship. If it was about performance. The other two would have been rewarded according to their performance. They achieved different things, but they got the same reward. It was always about the intention of their heart. And now that the truth has been brought into the light, the master has been burnt, there is no reconciliation. The master can't restore this servant because there is no intent on the servant's half to live in relationship, to have a a right living together. And this fractured, broken relationship is what stings in this story. And it is like the big red waving flag of this parable calling out to us as the church saying, Church, do not go here. Do not make this mistake. Do not find yourself inadvertently becoming the unfaithful servant. It's not about performance. It's about a faithful seeking of relationship with the master. It's about seeking him when you know what to do and when you don't. It's never been about performance. It's never been about getting it right. It's always been about a faithful pursuit of the master. So friends, let me ask you. Why are you here? Why do you follow Jesus? It's a question worth asking. Why do you follow Jesus? Is it that he died and rose again to forgive your sins and offer you a fresh start? That, that's good Is it that he offers to bring us life and life to the full, life in abundance, a fullness expression of the life that he always intended us to have? That's awesome. Or is it that he's a healing God that can set you free and, and change you and transform you and heal you from your brokenness? That is something worth following. But you see, the problem is each of these are one way, aren't they? They should form a part of why we follow Jesus, but on their own, they don't tell the whole story. They're not all of what Jesus intended for us in this relationship that he calls us towards. In John 15.15, Jesus speaks in a way that mirrors this parable, in an incredible way. Jesus says to his disciples and to us that, I no longer call you servants, but I now call you friends. Just as the master said to the first two faithful servants, come and join in my happiness, you are co-partners with me in my estate. Jesus says to his disciples and to you, I don't call you servant. I call you friend. Jesus is after a mutual relationship. We are driven not by what He can give us, but by a pursuit and a love and a seeking to know Him and walk in step with Him. It doesn't matter if we know what is right or wrong, what is up or down, left or right, forwards or backwards. It doesn't matter about your performance and whether you're getting it right. It matters about whether you are living a faithful pursuit of your Master. And God calls us, Jesus calls us to not get caught up in the blessings he can offer. They are great and they will strengthen and build this bond, but to get our priorities in order to know that we seek him. It's a faithful pursuit of him that that he calls us to. Relationship matters more than performance. And a faithfulness or a lack of will impact not only your relationship with him, but the relationship's And the image that others hold of him. Friends, may we be a people who don't make the error of the unfaithful servant. May we be a people who instead live in the footsteps of the faithful servants, who prioritize a faithfulness to the master even if we don't know what's right or wrong. Even when we are unsure, we would turn to a faithful pursuit of him. We would be a people characterized by this pursuit. We would be a people that seek him in any situation, in any moment, despite our fears, despite our worries, despite our concerns. We would seek him first, carefully examining the images that we hold of him, filtering out parts of us that are based on an unfaithful pursuit of him and courageously living a life of risk-taking pursuit of him so that he would be glorified so that his kingdom would be expanded, and so that he would be known. Friends, this parable waves a flag to us, that it's all about relationships, and that our faithfulness to him matters. May you live this week with courage, with boldness, taking risks as you faithfully seek the Lord Jesus who loves you and cares for you and calls you to be his friend. Amen.